Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Has Been History Podcast. I'm Crispin and I'm joined again by my co-host Alan. Good morning. So before we jump into today's topic, we do have a quick sort of housekeeping note to go over since Alan and I are co-hosts. We both want to be satisfied and happy with what we create in the form of this podcast. So as far as the vision for the podcast, uh, sort of its length, its duration, uh, Alan, do you want to touch on that for a second? Yeah, yeah. So so I think, uh, I mean, the duration of the physical podcast, I think, would be probably around about 30 to 60 minutes. Per, um, per episode, depending on how we feel about it, to be honest with you. Um, and then in terms of this, I kind of initially envisioned this to be like a short-term project, uh, I'll say, um, maybe lasting around a year. Um, and I mean, if we find more passion in do- doing this after the year, I think we can always continue. The, 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 there's no one forcing us to be like, after a year, you are this is gonna die yeah exactly but in, <laughs> but in our, our perspective now i don't think either of us see it lasting longer than the school year so probably until may yeah 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 i mean there there's also the possibility which i am more suggested to and and i, I want someone to do this is to have someone else take over um, but that is for the future to decide i cannot we don't know that now yeah yeah this is this is yeah, predicting what's gonna happen in the next basically like eight months, which I don't have a crystal crystal ball in my hand, so I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, uh, uh, we we sort of have been talking quite a bit about what we want to produce, uh, like how we how we want to format it, and behind the scenes, we kind of had a bit of a uh, we'll call it a, a short disagreement about whether or not to censor swear words. It, um, it was it was a great war. It's thinking about Battle of Verdun, uh, yeah, yeah. 1916. Toronto lines, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trench warfare, the whole lot. Uh, so I want I I want to briefly touch on sort of our reasons why why we had this disagreement and sort of where we're at now with it, and what our resolution has been, and why we came to that resolution. Um, so I think uh I was. For I I broached this topic. I wanted to censor swear words, and Alan, you did not. So, Alan, if you want to go through sort of the reasons you had for not censoring censoring swear words on this, yeah, I mean, uh, I I, I think uh, for both of us, it, it was a as I, I think I as I put it pretty plainly, and and I think it so is a and ideological divergent uh, between both of like we were pretty hard light in terms of our stance um, but you know ultimately uh, we decided on um, certain decisions but for for me I think it's more kind of the inner libertarian in me <laughs> a, a little bit uh, but um, Try to make this a good analogy is like uh, thinking about it with Plato's theories of forms is like for me uh, when we have when we produce something I to I, I'd like to listen to the most original recording of it uh, unedited um, as much as possible and not including like bleeping out swear words um, because I think that uh, 
is trying to conceal a certain part of us that is not necessarily, um, you know, that is not necessarily needed. And then, because I think uh, I swear on a, on a daily basis, and especially... Bring your sailor over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, especially with English, but uh, having us to, you know... Um, but yeah, um, and I think by having that, that thought in, in the back of my mind is a little bit, I think, A, kind of bad, and B, uh, having to bleep it out, I think it, it will lose some of its originality. Uh, for me, it was about, for me, I see bleeping swear words within podcasts as a largely just an editorial decision. It's on the same level as cutting out unnecessary pauses, silences, it's the same level as putting intro music in. Um, as well, I I didn't want to... I, I have a very sort of uh, more stringent uh, self-regulation around swearing. Um, and anything I put out into the world as sort of a public forum for other people to listen to, I, want, I don't want there to be swearing in it. I just don't. Um, and I also viewed this as if I want to share this with my my broader faith community it's not something I would want to include within a format like this so for me it was also a, a point of accessibility for sort of a wider more general audience I didn't want to restrict access based on what I viewed to be in a very easy arbitrary decision um, and I think we, we came down to the decision on uh, to, to sort of to censor swear words. Um, and I think this is not because Alan is like, you know, going to betray all his ideals. <laughs> I, I, I think it's because in this, in, in this particular case, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, in this particular case, I have an obligation not just to myself and my own ethics, but to a community's ethics. Uh, of who I want to share this with and how I represent that community here. So for me, it was like a, it was a decision based on, it's not that me or Alan have a stronger argument here individually. It's, it's that for me, my obligation is to more than just myself. Uh, it goes beyond just myself. So and I, I think for that, reason I was less willing to budge on this and Alan was more able to uh, to concede if that makes sense and not concede and lose just to be more accommodating is what is how actually how I'll phrase it like you were you were more you were able to be more accommodating than I was in this particular case so I think that's ultimately how we landed on that do you do you think that's a a fair interpretation of, of how we if we have can do anything to add to that or yeah, I think that that'll be pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay, uh, yeah. On to today's sub- uh, subject, which uh, you have suggested. Uh, yes. Uh, public history. Yes, public history. Um, and uh, just for uh for transparency here, I am taking a course in public history right now. I'm still learning it, so it's not perfect. It's not. Um, it's not. My, my thoughts on it aren't fully formed and I'm not an expert on it by any means, but I think it's a very interesting topic and I, and I want to take the, tan- take the chance to share it and talk about it. So, Alan, 
tell me, what do you think public history is? How would you define public history? Uh, I haven't taken a course on this. <laughs> this is why I'm asking you because I, I want your your un, uh, I want your un unbiased un, your unbiased opinion on what public history is. Oh, fucking hell. Okay, well, <laughs> um, I mean, public history. History got a public in a name. Start um, to me. I don't think it's academic. As as academic as you know, history as a academic discipline generally is, okay. um, and that you know, um, it it does imply that it is for the general audience, um, you know, in a sense of like everyday people can can not only like access it, but in terms of like it's also readable because in terms of academic, uh, we often think about like oh, let's talk about like. Uh, uh, what the, that came across for me is a critical fab, uh, fabulation, which unless you have to search it up in the academic journal, you have you have no idea. Like those two individual words make sense. Yeah, but you're when you not, put it together. You're like, what the heck? You're not having to Google things every five seconds when you read public history. Yeah, specifically, is what is okay. And like, in what situations would you encounter public history? You sort of mentioned sort of a literary format, like in a book, but how how does public history differ from academic history in kind of the, a broader I feel like it's presentation sphere. I feel like it's all all around us. Okay. Um, I mean, one can make the argument that everything is history. <laughs> um, um, how how well that argument can stand um, is a different. <laughs> it is not my. I would not. I would not. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm <laughs> I'm not gonna argue that. <laughs> but no, I'm, um, gonna, I'm gonna come full in on you in the next episode. No, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, yeah. I I think the the presentation of it is is, is definitely more like um, around the general audience um, in forms that is accessible, not just in terms of books, but also videos. Um, and we can think about other mediums too, um, such as museum, library. Mm, there we um, go. <laughs> you you really wanted me to say those, um, and then also even down to like plaques. I will say. Yeah, that, like when you're walking around, and you see this is a historic place. It's just a little plaque. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. This is where he got assassinated. Um, okay, let's I, not go there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I think that's a, I think that's a good, I thought, I honestly think that's a good first impression I thought you would have. Like, that's kind of pretty much what I figured you would, the answer you would give me would be, which is perfectly fine. That's kind of my answer, too. Um, I also, I also think, firstly, I think it's funny because we're doing public history and this podcast is in itself a form of public history in a way. Uh, although we're more focused on history, like the conception of history. And I think we want to talk, I'm going to talk about a bit of that today as well as historical discourse in the mainstream. Historical discourse. Historical discourse in the mainstream. And how, what kind of that looks like too. We, 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 we venture into the death of Reddit. Is that, is that, is the is death that... of Reddit? No, no, no. We're not, we're not <laughs> about that today. Uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, so I think, I think it's fun that we're doing this and public, this is a form of public history. I think that's, I think that's fun. Um, so 
as you sort of like evaluated before public history typically when you pick it up like if you walk into a bookstore like you know indigo barnes and noble anything like that like a mainstream bookstore with chain and you go over to the section labeled history you'll find mostly public history you'll find books that are often written by academics or sometimes journalists but they are often uh less evaluative they're less jargony they're often more of a blow-by-blow account or a biography and you leave with an impression of a period i would say or or a would, circumstance sorry go ahead would you say it's more more narrative I would say public history does tend to lean more to narrative than argument. Uh, and this, I don't think, is a bad thing. I just think it's the change of medium, so to speak. Um, if you think about a, say, a documentary, right? Like documentaries often, while they have interviews with experts, they're not all about the expert. And the person who's putting the documentary together uh kind of tying it together narrative like through a narrative thread is the person presenting it and they kind of get to determine the impression they leave okay, you yeah. with now you mentioned documents uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think like whether or not like all, uh, with all the i mean there are certainly some documentary that's more argumentative based but have you seen any like history <laughs> uh documentary that's like in in this documentary, we're gonna argue about uh, how Queen Elizabeth the first is the and is the what is the is the is the a first like queen to do A B and C or something. Is, uh, it's not necessarily it? that's not necessarily an argument though, right? No, that's no, just no. Like a, yeah, yeah. But that's like, just like a. I would I would expect that to be more within trying to impress upon the viewer the importance of said Queen Elizabeth, like. Maybe Queen Elizabeth is the first, you know, female monarch to do these things. She is the longest reign of any female monarch in the British, you know, British monarchical history. Like, this this is kind of, like, that's, we'll get into kind of the idea of, like, facts and narrative later. But those are largely presented as factual. Those aren't presented as argumentative. Whereas a historian's job in an academic paper is often, not always, but often, to convince you of an argument. Um, to show you that their interpretation of the past is the correct one, or sheds new light on a, or on a topic. Um, whereas documentaries are often, I think, seen more as, as you mentioned, more as narrative and, and function. Yeah. I would also like to talk about, I guess if we, we can come back to this if we want to as well, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're not putting this, but... I think what's really interesting about public history is thinking about it, and I just mentioned this before, is public discourse in the mainstream. So how is that, like, interpreted? How is that thought of? Uh, or not public, sorry, historical discourse in the mainstream. How is that thought of? How How is that interpreted? How is that seen by the public? And how do historians enter into that conversation? And even how are historians perceived by the public? I think that's an interesting meta-conversation. Um, and we'll go a little bit into a situation I've been learning about, uh, with my, uh, with my public history course, which I'll do my best to represent regarding the 1619 project. Um, okay. Um, now you mentioned that, I'm I'm thinking 
about memorialization and memory. Memorialization and memory. Do you want to expand on that for <laughs> us uninitiated? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like, feel how like you define this. Oh my god! <laughs> just, just give me the, just dumb it down. Like, give me, give me the basics. Because even here, I'm a little, I'm on shaky ground here. I don't, I don't even think I can get. Give you a thirty second rundown of it, but I'm gonna try my fucking best here. Okay, um, <laughs> um, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, okay, it is intrinsically, I think, linked to public history. Mm-hmm. Um, or or actually, remove the history from it. Intrinsically linked with the public. This okay. is how public me- like remembers certain. I see. Um, that I think um, is the is the way I think I would explain it. There's a lot more nuance and ambiguity within that thing because even in a certain event, say I fired a cannonball, standing on two different angles, you're gonna see two different things. Right. Whether the cannonball is coming towards you or, or if it's going away from away from you. Yeah. Right. Um. And yeah, like certain events, especially more traumatic ones, um, can have different, invoke different emotion from different people. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they themselves are affected, their family is affected, their community is affected. Um, it, and also it may be something happy too, like a celebration. Yeah, so, so, the, so public memory is not necessarily... Or just memory in general is not necessarily even. How should we put this? It's not necessarily neither negative nor positive. No, it's just a thing. Yeah. And it's it's constructed by the public. And the thing is, I I would even think like not really. It's like constructed by each individual in the public. I see. Makes up the makes public. Up the public. And and the thing is like. This is something that's, I don't want to call it abomination, but because it has a little bit of a negative connotation to it, but it's like it it is like a Frankenstein of of things. It's, it's a like, conglomeration. Let's let's go. With yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> it's an assembly of of memory. Assemblages. It's, a, it's an assemblage of memory. <laughs> oh, uh, I was just trying to think of other words for like putting something together, but you know. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think I get your, what you're driving at. I have a follow-up question for you. How do you think, and I don't have an answer to this, this is just something I'm throwing out. How do you think public history either changes or is changed by uh, public memory? Hmm. I, I don't have an answer to this. I'm just tossing it. How is, uh, hold up, hold up. What <laughs> do you want to repeat that sentence again? Sure. Sorry. <laughs> how is how is public history how does public history affect or how is public history affected by uh memory? Mm-hmm. Okay, I actually got a very interesting case because I, I, I did the whole research of it, which is I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Before, before we start this episode, but 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 now he here I am explaining it. Um, let's talk about Dresden firebombing. 
This is totally a, f- <laughs> yeah. a very uh you know happy event uh that that, that went down in Dresden in nineteen forty five, um where a lot of um allied bombers decided to basically bomb the entire city of Dresden, Germany into smithereens. Uh, not just with normal bombs, but it's normal bombs plus fire bombs. What that meant is this whole city was on fire. Yeah. Um, and then that's not the important part, actually. Uh, even though I, I, I think it's... That's the event. So, that is the event that inspired what comes next, which is immediately uh, propaganda minister uh, Joseph Goebbels gone on radio and say, look at the Allies, look at how evil they, these guys are. We got to fight one. This starts a process. Um, and also the people who is the survivors of, 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 of the firebombing and their community started, obviously are affected and are traumatized by this event because yeah. they lost people, property, yada, yada, yada um, in this event. Um, and then now you have a third actor, um, by the way, of uh, Josef Goebbels, uh, a Nazi official, saying that, oh, this is all the Allies' fault. It's none of our, our business. They just decided out of the blue to bomb the city. Um, so he's co-opting the event in order to make it propaganda. Yes, um, but that's, that's the thing. That, that, that influences what public the public at the time remembered this event as, which is like, it is just a brutal slaughtering of, of innocent people. Um, in their minds. Um, and then what happened afterwards? Germany lost the war. Um, the That area in, in Dresden is in Saxony, which is located in, in Eastern Germany, which was also occupied by the Soviet. And what happened was Cold War. And that event gets co-opted by the Soviets. And then because it's the Cold Wars, everybody hate the other side. So they're pointing to, not this case, they're pointing to you know, the United States, Great Britain, and yeah. saying, look how bad these guys yes, are. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, yeah, this this event is still, like, there's still contention with them, this, but, like, every year, um, whenever the, the the remembrance day for, for this, again, this is a tragic event, uh, even if some of the um, people who's dead maybe murderous, um, I still think it's a tragic event that happened because there's there were innocent people that was killed in in this event, um, but nonetheless, um, now we have people, uh, twenty, I think the report was like twenty two thousand five or two thousand nine. I'm 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 not so relatively so, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Past, relatively recently within the past twenty years. Yes, within the past twenty years. Um, basically, what, um, every. Every every uh, few years, the remembrance of this event happens. There's always a pro-Nazi, neo-Nazi riot going on. Mm, saying, blaming the Allies and saying, yeah. we were in the right because we were, we were the real victims. Yeah. They, know, the Nazis this is were a, the real victims. Yeah. A Don't victim- take that out of context. <laughs> a, a victimization of these people. Totally. I think, yeah. I think this is interesting, too, because... On the opposite side of this, and I, I want to touch on this sort of yeah. period as well, you have, you know, the Blitzkrieg and the Blitz of Britain going on at this time, and, you know, this idea of Blitz spirit in, in Britain, especially in London, with the yeah. city being bombed every night by the Luftwaffe, and 
you have these civilians, you know, like keeping on, carrying on. Very, I'm sure we're all very familiar with that sort of. Uh, I mean, now, I mean, we talk about public history. We we remember, even though we're not in a an actual event, none of our relative, at least at least mine, because mine was all the way back in China um, yeah. slash Taiwan. I'm not 100 sure at that point where they are, but even I feel like I'm connected because I've seen posters of it. Yeah, so and the there's have been called. Yeah, so there's propaganda on that side too, and this kind of led the British people, I think, in later years, to believe that the sort of blitz spirit, sort of courage in the face of courage and resistance in the face of danger, and, <laughs> never surrender. Yeah, very much like this idea of of blitz spirit is unique to not only to London but to all British people. Like the blitz spirit is unique to them; they can find joy in the face of hopelessness. However. Even though there are reports that suggest that that same sort of resilience and courage in the face of danger was present in Germany too during the very same sort of stuff you were talking about during bombing by the RAF. Yeah. It's not a unique phenomenon, essentially. Yeah. But it was co-opted into public memory. Um, this, this is something that's been an interesting side tangent. But how does public history affect memory? Or can it affect? Is this a chicken and the egg scenario? Where they get wrapped up into each other. Oh yeah. Uh, you uh, think it's a chicken and the egg? You think it's a hundred percent. Like there is no way because again, like history, like what we said in 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 the first episode, like history changes the way influence the way we act. Uh, it it changes our identities. Um, the the way that you're acting in a certain way is because of history, and the fact is. Um, it doesn't matter what type of history it is, whether it be like, uh, maritime history or public history. Like it still influence, uh, and I, I think especially I, public history. I would, I would say that history isn't quite as. Hmm. <laughs> I would say I I would put some, I would backtrack a little bit the extent to which you're making this argument. I would say history is very good for understanding how we got to where we are now. But I wouldn't say it influences everything. Hmm. Interesting. I think there are other factors at play that we have to acknowledge. I mean, yes. I mean, the, 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 there's a whole thing about, about like human agency. Because now... Science, technology as well. Like, like this I mean, idea... Here's the thing. Even with science, okay, the we'll, idea we'll, have to start something. We'll, we'll get to there at some other point. <laughs> Although that was... Like, we'll talk about scientific history at another, another point, um, yeah. but I think my argument more there is science is not a, 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 a pure or holy phenomenon. It is something that is always influenced by the present moment. But science still informs the way we think about things just as much as maybe history does. And I think in our, in our, in our you know, cultural memory at the moment, yeah. at least, the idea of science probably influences us more than history does. I would say as much. I would say history is the only factor here. No, but I would no. say that history is certainly a factor that is often underrepresented. Okay. I think I, 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 I can agree with that. Although I I I'm I think definitely more biased <laughs> and then you I think it's it, it deals a lot like I think history influences our decision a lot more than science. Um, science may have provided us with a more wider range of options, I think, or or limited a certain thing about options. But what 
uh, what influences what we choose um, in terms of like, you know, whatever. Uh, I think history and identity play plays more of a role because history then get wrapped up with culture. Uh, and that's another kind of one that I'm like, I don't know if I want to get oh, into. But culture changes as well, right? So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not, a, not a static no, no, I feel like we're we're getting a little off the rails here as, no. as far as this. I feel like this is also yeah. an interesting, yeah. an interesting part of this this topic too. But kind of what I want to dig into today a little bit is the perception of history within the public sphere, mm -hmm. uh, and I want to talk about this a little bit. So, how would you say history is used, Alan? How would you say history is used and even like misused? I mean, I think we just brought up an, an example with, with our previous example. It is you, it could be used and it is, it is still used as a way to justify certain things and, or use it as a form of propaganda. Sure. Um, because as, as we said, like, yeah, um, to paint uh, a community as bad slash good um, or paint them as like being really resilient. Claim, uh, claims to a region. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, like history is often used as an authoritative source. It's used as often sometimes the authoritative source. Whereas what is a, a quote that I like to, I like to use is history becomes the evidentiary grab bag of politics. So if you want to support any political claim you have, you reach into this big old bag, bag of history and say, look, I have historical fact, therefore I am right. And we, we look to, to like how our legal system works as well. Like, uh, I can't speak to this because I don't have too much in the way of like legal knowledge. But my my understanding serves me right. There seems to be this idea of precedent, like this idea of yes. if something is ruled to be a certain way, future cases that deal with a similar or the same subject will look back on that case as having set precedent. Like yeah. this was the conclusion come to by this case. Therefore, it has some kind of merit. So, history takes on a very real use in that situation. Yeah. Um, but then how, how does the public deals with that? I, I wouldn't know. I think, I think that's often... I think this, this touches on a lot of things. Uh, Such as? I, I would say this has to do as well with sort of the memory of my own understanding of how, you know, what the law works and kind of the idea of a stuffy courtroom. Uh, and I know that's not strictly true, and the law itself can be very dynamic and changing, but I think it's often represented even on this, this kind of very, like, this very scrupulous attention to detail type of, of, uh, uh, representation. So I think, I think this example is a little bit, uh, fraught with with difficulty because it touches on representations of things that are not history and therefore outside of my expertise fair enough but yeah um hold on i gotta say though when you're matching legal history um so. side note <laughs> no okay you know just gonna so. okay I think this part just needs to get that just has to get cut out that's gotta go okay. um, <laughs> um, so i i want to i want to use that sort of idea of like yeah, thinking about the uses and abuses of history so to speak uh to, to sort of talk about how do because we talk about how history is often used as like this kind of evidentiary grab bag is used to support any cause you want. It's often thought as very factual. 
Um, I think in the last episode, we talked a little bit about how it's constructed, yeah. so to speak. Uh, how history is often the practice of knowledge production. And I think narrative as well. But narrative also has to be constructed, right? Like, you have to present a narrative in different... You can present narratives in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and this comes to, like, the idea of cultural memory, too. Yeah. So I think what we're trying to establish here is the way history is conceived of as this factual grab bag to pick from versus how history is actually conducted as constructed or presented in different ways and with, like, you have to think about interpretation. Those are two different things. Uh, but how does this, I think, points to how do we conceptualize the past? How do we think about the past? Uh, how, how would you say in at least, like, uh, you know, 21st century, we conceptualize of the past? Compared to, compared to how it's uh, uh, presented, maybe or or constructed, so to speak. I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question again. How do we? We, we can move on from it. No, no. I I I, I honestly I I I kind of want to give it a think because like when when we think about things sometimes it, it, it we, we tend to remember certain like events more um like like well, what i said about like the dress of five bombing like that's one event I, like, i'm i'm trying to get up more here mm-hmm. how do we conceptualize the essence of the past not necessarily the events of the past how do we think about it in our, you know, 21st century brains when we think about the past? How do we imagine it to be? Static? Honestly, I, I feel like it's more, more of a clock. In, 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 my, in my brain, like, sure it makes... Oh, you're, you're going very literal with what this idea. Yeah. Yeah, what, I think what I'm trying to drive at here is, um, this is this is how I think about it. If, if you're okay with me rambling on a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I think about how we conceptualize the past, I think very much of, I think we often associate it as being factual, being rock solid, as being even, even scientific, if you want to get down to it. Like, it is very straightforward. It is evaluative. It is, you know, the past cannot be changed. It's static. It's unchanging. The past is the past, and it will stay that way. Um, only now can really change. But as we've explored and talked about a bit, the past can be changed by how you present it, by what factors you focus on, by how you construct it, by how you present your narrative. I feel like I have a lot of pushback on that, I think. I, I, so? I, I, I feel like there's different forms of the past. There is a literal past where like things happen. So like there's a is are you saying there's like a platonic ideal of the past? Not not an ideal, but what happened um like uh versus like how do we represent uh the past not represent but represent it to, I, I to, to 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 the to the people uh, to the odd the audience whether it be like an academic crowd or a general audience um whereas things have happened um like say um, a few minutes ago i hit a baseball sure that that has happened like that cannot be changed 
however how i presented it whether or not um oh, you know, i see what you're saying yes i'm i'm trying to drive at uh yeah i, I see what you're saying yeah I'm trying, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're we're actually pretty similar on this but i, I was just presenting a baby in a different way Again, that different form of presentation. No, I think this proves my argument. <laughs> yeah. um, Are we this, arguing? This brings me to an example I think I want to talk about. If you want to... Thank you. Uh, so, I think when I think of recent... I want to talk about a pretty... A relatively recent example of controversial sort of examples of public history. I don't know if you can think of any off the top of your head. I mean, statues. Statues are, are one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that fits into memory, too. Um, but one I think that is we're looking at in my class uh, that I mentioned a little earlier is the 1619 Project, which was uh, a, a New York Times essentially issue or extended art, which, which brought together voices from different uh, Black American scholars, poets, um, in order to, and many historians in order to sort of put together an argument that the America's America, even though it has these ideals of freedom, was not founded upon that ideal. It was founded upon slavery. Um, and slavery is at its core. It is its heart of darkness, if you will. Uh, and the 1619 Project picked its name because 1619 is when the first, uh, ostensibly, the first black slaves came to the shores of America. Uh, and that, and that's... Wait, I, I, I actually want you to clarify this. When you say American, you don't mean America's... You know, I'm specifically referring to the, the United, United States. Yeah, okay. what would become the United States. Okay, okay. Yeah, so this is the first recorded day we have of Americans coming to the United States. Um, sorry, my bad. Uh, uh, <laughs> people of African descent coming to the United States, uh, stepping on their shores, and this is why they picked that that title, sixteen nineteen, because their argument is that you know America is built upon the back of slavery, not mm -hmm. ideals of freedom. Um, I think the project, much of it, has this idea of america's ideal is freedom we have to get there like that's what we that's our goal is to achieve eventually be, yeah. be be free but we have to acknowledge that the past is founded on something entirely different than that yeah um and this was extremely controversial if you know anything about sort of you know american politics or anything like those you can imagine <laughs> how this would be controversial yeah right? i mean this also invoked again like different people's memories of and and their emotions of yes because slavery is a big big uh subject to, to touch upon and again like other forms of history there's also different forms of slavery chattel slavery servant yada 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 or the 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 one that is yeah in. yeah and I, I think this is interesting too because uh because this caused such a stir it caused such controversy um there was a there was a at the time, the president of the American Historical Association, James Sweet, uh, put out this sort of memo for his start, the start of his his sort of role as president. And uh, we read this in our class, and it's basically a, a critique of the 1619 Project in a sense. Uh, and, and Sweet, I want to clarify here, Sweet is 
an historian of the African diaspora or, or like African migration. He's very interested in African American history and he is what I think you could probably ostensibly call an African American historian. So I think he's coming not from a place of criticizing necessarily the intent of the project, but criticizing its execution. I think he was coming at this in good faith. Um, but he he's a little messy with, he's quite messy with his arguments and he's not as focused as I, I would have liked to be. He's very willing to condemn the 1619 project at the start. So what ended up happening was more, uh, more, more sources that opposed the 1619 project, which were usually conservative or right-leaning sources, would actually quote him, even though his intention was not necessarily to, uh, like, take away from the 1619 project just to, you know, sort of examine its execution. But they would often quote him as saying, like, the president of the American Historical Association calls the Basically, like, misrepresenting it. Yeah, they did misrepresent him. But I think this needs to get us thinking when we think about history as well, because there's kind of this metaphor I've been thinking of. Whenever you... First of all, I think this... I, I want to backtrack. I'll come back to that in a second. There's this... I think this kind of touches on this idea of what we're talking about with memory versus like public versus academic history. The sixteen nineteen project, even though it is public history, has an argument to it. It has a narrative it's trying to put in place. And a lot of people criticized it for being ahistorical because it has a narrative or an argument. Yeah, which I think to both of us, it sounds a little silly. It sounds honest. a little silly to both of us who are, are steeped in sort of the academic world of history where narrative and argument is kind of the name of the game. Yeah. Interpretation, if you will. So the idea of being able to like, but for, I think this points to in our, our public mind, our public memory, history is factual. It's unchanging, it's static. It can be discovered. You know, you can unearth it and it's just perfect the way it is. So, like, the idea of presenting America through a, a different lens is comes off as, you know, false or crazy or, like, like wrong. Because it's not true history, right? Yeah. This wasn't the history I was taught in school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually have a very similar... Um, example to the to the sixteen nineteen project that they that you just raised, um, it was, it also got a lot of backlash, um, because we all all, all, all like like backlash, um, it is uh in form of a book called I believe Neighbor, mm. um, I don't know if I told you this before, no, um, you've never told me about this before. Yes, so this was a book by a Polish author, who's who also ha happened to be. I believe a Jew. Um, he was writing about uh, a massacre in Yavadne, uh at the time in Poland. I'm pretty sure now it belonged to um, what's what's the what's the country that has a capital Vilnius Lithuania. There we go. I, okay. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. Um, the 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 country. Um, you can search it real quick. Okay, just just keep going. Yeah, but anyway, um. So what happened was 1940, uh, 
I don't know why I'm giving so much award to examples um, in, in this episode, but this is what I can came up with uh, at the at the present moment. Um, basically, this town exchanged hands multiple times. Um, it was at the hand of Pol- Polish government, and then the after the partition um, uh, of the the initial like. 1940 partition between the Soviet Union and Germany with Poland, it went to the Soviets. Uh, the Soviets, Soviets basically started doing their like um, communist takeover, execute the elites, yada yada yada, and then you know Hitler attacked Russia uh, or Soviet Union at that point. Uh, so then Germany took over the town, and then what happened afterwards was. A lot of these people, a lot of the Polish people, actually, uh, wasn't in, in, in certain way, I believe, enraged, uh, and because they previously harbor anti-Semitic uh, thoughts, uh, and then they proceeded to ask the German authority whether or not they could kill their Jewish neighbors, which at that point I believe constituted half of the town. Ah. Um. So what ended up happening was without. The, the German uh, occupational force gave them their consent. They did not do any of the killing. The Polish peop, uh, resident of the town basically massacred the entire other half of the town who happened to be Jewish. Uh, the three people that survived was uh, the three uh, Jewish people that happened to survive that massacre happened to ironically be within the care of the Germans, which is really funny. Um, and actually not, not funny, that is not really good. Um, very ironic when we think about it. Um, but when that book came out, the author got his citizenship revoked and there was a massive, massive backlash because what that, because the book was towards the general public. Yeah. Um, it is a form of public history as we, we, we talked about, yeah. could be form of. Um, but like the, the 1619 project, there is a under, uh, like a very not so subtle argument in there, which is the Polish people are complicit in the Holocaust, mm. and like the the whole idea of this is not the history that I was taught at school. Uh, the Polish government was like, no, you are not doing this. They, I'm not sure if they banned the book, but but it, it certainly caused a stir. Yeah, and the fact that the author got his Polish citizenship revoked. Sure. Is a really big backlash. And I think, yeah, this again like, causes an issue in terms of like how we engage with um, public history. And, and the fact that sometimes that if, if there is an argument uh, and it's too clear, <laughs> there is a, uh, almost always a backlash. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think this is this, uh, I think we're probably going to wrap up in a moment here, but I want to yeah. touch on one last thing. Yeah. And it's this idea that uh, no matter how well nuanced and well thought out your opinion is yeah if it, i imagine this if if you take like if your rock if a rock is your opinion if like a pebble you plant in your you hold in your hand is in, is your opinion yeah you take that pebble and you throw it into a like a perfect like clear pond it will make an initial impact and then ripples will go outward but those ripple ripples get farther and farther apart they get like longer they bounce around off each other so your argument loses its initial shape. Yeah. So I think this is also part of it, is that your initial argument you make as a historian in a public work, it will get away from you. 
as which which happened probably to this author, and also happened this week. Like this is this is the treachery of doing argumentative history and the sixteen nineteen project as well. In, this is the treachery setting, in a public setting. Because when you make that initial splash, your argument will be, I don't want to say will be, because I want to believe people are good faith actors, but sometimes they're not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, your argument will get away from you, and it will be misrepresented, and it will change. And that's the treachery of it. I think that's why a lot of historians opt for a far more less controversial approach to it. And like, like if you walk into the world, the, you know, walk into a, a library like library or a bookstore and you see a lot of books on like World War II or stuff like that. It's like... Pique the public's interest. Yeah, um, I know. It's, it's what people are interested in. Yeah. So I think I think that's something. I don't think this topic is fully closed for us yet. Oh, no, no, not at all. I think all, we just opened it. Yeah, because there's a lot of work because we never touched on... I mean, I don't think we never, but, but, but we hardly talk, talked about museums either. Yeah, like, we have their rules in, in the yeah, public. We have to talk about a bunch more, and I'd be very interested to see if we can uh, get somebody we know who's writing a thesis on public history, specifically around museums. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably see if we can get her on. We can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I might be able to invite my prof on. She can talk about public history and us, yeah. her representation of it. Yeah. Um. So I think. Yeah, with that being but, said, I think this is a good place to kind of uh, wrap up. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily wrap up the entire conversation, because I think we will definitely continue this uh, some other time. Yes, um, we but, will, yeah, we will maybe even put a part one on this. Uh, why not? We'll do, part, <laughs> we'll do a part two some other time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Public history continued. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll open this up next time. Yeah. Uh, at another point in time, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for joining us today on the Has Been Podcast. Yeah. I've been Crispin. And I've been Alan. See you next time. Bye.